Hello, my name's Alex. Um, I'm reading the Bible for us today. Reading from uh, Romans chapter 8 and starting at verse 31. Earlier in the chapter, Paul has been talking about the sufferings in this life and the glory of the life to come. He then says in verse 31, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. G'day everyone, my name is Joel. If you have a Bible, please keep it open to Romans Romans chapter 8. We'll be working our way through it together. Um, my parents were student ministers here a long time ago. It's lovely to be back. They have very fond memories of this church. Um, please pray with me and then we'll get into the God's word. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is powerful to save and we pray that as we look at your word now in Romans chapter 8 that you would be working through it to bring us closer to you. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Sticking out as a Christian doesn't seem to be such an easy thing to do. Let me tell you about my friend Bill. I've known Bill since I was born. He actually came to the hospital when I was born. He was about a year old. He was a really close friend of mine growing up. I would have definitely said that he was an inspiration to me. He was in the year above me at school and he looked after me a lot. Um, Bill helped out at youth group. We used to hang out all the time. He was also one of the strongest Christians that I knew. He was at church every week, serving in the band, helping with kids' church. He was really an amazing role model for me. But sadly, Bill hasn't been to church in over a year. He moved churches a while ago to somewhere where he thought he'd have more friends and he's just slowly drifted away. I'm not sure that Bill would call himself a Christian anymore. Bill went from being this incredibly strong Christian to not believing at all. That's crazy. Sticking it out as a Christian doesn't seem to be an easy thing to do. 
And there are many things in this world that make it hard, suffering and doubt and worldly temptations, just to name a few. So let me ask you this, this is our question for the day. Do you think you will make it to the end as a Christian? It's a bit of a heavy question to be asking, I know, but let me ask again. Do you think that you'll make it to the end as a Christian? There's lots of things that can stop us from sticking it out, lots of reasons to not believe the claims of Christianity. There are lots of other things that we can be doing, lots of really good things in this world. So do you think that you will make it to the end as a Christian? Well, today we're jumping right into the middle of a letter in the Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. In his letter so far, he's discussed the Christian faith, how it works, why we need it, and how Christians are to respond to the amazing gift of Jesus. We're actually coming to the end of a section in Romans, chapters 5 to 8, where Paul has been talking about the amazing life that Christians have because of Jesus. In chapter 8, as we just heard, Paul has been elaborating on the life Christians have, and he's talked about the future glory that Christians can expect in heaven. But he makes it clear that now creation is longing for Jesus' return and that it's going to be corrupted and enslaved until then. And Paul says that Christians long and groan with the world as we wait. In this last little section, Paul turns to the issue of assurance. Assurance here is whether a Christian can know that they will be able to stick it out as a Christian, whether they can know that they will make it to the end. With all the groaning and suffering that's going on and all the bad things in the world, how are these weak humans going to continue to stick with Jesus? How are Paul's readers going to make it to the end as Christians? And Paul wants his readers to be confident in, in their salvation. And in these first verses we're going to read, he actually says well, what I would say is one of the most comforting things that have ever been said. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul knows that God is on the side of Christians. I mean, after all, he sent his own son to die for them. Let me, let me try and get to the heart of Paul's argument here. Imagine, bring yourselves back a month ago. It's halfway through December. And imagine with me, let's pretend I've just had a conversation with my mum about what she wants for Christmas. She's asked for two things that she wants, two things. A three-carat diamond necklace and a scrunchie from Kmart. Three-carat diamond necklace and a new scrunchie from Kmart. It's a fairly extravagant request, if we're honest. But anyway, I grab the change in my wallet and I go off to try and get a hold of these gifts. Let's fast forward to Christmas Day. My mum is opening all her presents and then she gets to mine. I give her a box, inside she opens it and there it is, the three carat diamond necklace. She holds it up, looks at it into the light, it's all pretty and sparkling. And then she looks around in the box and there's nothing else, no scrunchie. Do you think she'd be surprised at that? 
I've just gotten her a three carat diamond necklace, but I didn't spend the dollar or so it would cost to get the scrunchie. It seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Of course I would have gotten it. I've gone through all the hard work. I've done the hard thing. I've gotten the expensive diamond necklace, but I didn't do the easy thing, the cheaper thing. I mean, if I've done the hard thing, the other bit should be simple, right? It's the same with Paul's argument here in the first bit of our passage. As we'll read in this next verse, see if you can tell what the diamond necklace of Paul's argument is and see if you can tell what relatively the Kmart scrunchie is. Have a look with me. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. Hopefully it'll be coming up on the screen or in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with all things, graciously give us all things? Let me read that again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with all things, graciously give us all things? Do you see what Paul is saying here? God gave up his own son to die for us. Having done the hard thing, having bought the diamond necklace, how much more will he give Christians all things along with Jesus? A little bit like buying that scrunchie. In our next section, Paul now turns to the situation of his readers. He's continuing with these rhetorical questions. He says, God has sent Jesus to die to save people. So who's going to bring a charge or condemn the people that God has saved? Not only that, Paul says that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he's now in heaven at God's right hand, continuing to intercede for his followers. Jesus interceding for Christians means that he's intervening on their behalf. His intercession, his intercession looks a little bit like this. Imagine, sadly, you've just died, and you rock up at heaven, and God is there. He's sitting on his judgment throne, and then Satan comes along, and he starts to accuse you of all the horrible things you've done in your life. All the people you've ever wronged, the lies you've told, all the people you've betrayed, everything you've ever done wrong is laid out before God the judge. And there's nothing you can say in defense. I mean, it's all true. But then Jesus comes along. He comes along, he comes up and he says, no, not that one. I died to save that person. I rose again to set that person free. And that's how Jesus intercedes for Christians. He's saying that Christians are his, that he died and rose again to save them. And that's brilliant news, isn't it? Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's interceding right now at God's hand. Have a look with me at verse 33. Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? 
Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famineness or nakedness or danger or sword? And Paul now asks the money ball question. The Roman Christians know that God has done the hard work of sending Jesus. They know that Jesus is raised from the dead and is interceding for them. So what could possibly separate them from God's love? The amount of love that's been shown to them is simply immense. It's beyond comprehension. So what could possibly separate them from it? Nothing. That's the answer. It doesn't matter what the world or, out, or anything outside can throw at Christians. There is nothing that can separate them from God's love in Christ. But that doesn't mean that there won't be hard things for Christians. Notice that in our next verse, Paul isn't saying that just because someone follows Jesus, they're not going to face trouble or hardship or persecution. No, in fact, Christians can expect to face all these things and more. Paul quotes Psalm 44 here to show that Christians go through these hard things for God's sake. It is as his ambassadors that they go through them. But that doesn't have any bearing on how much God loves and cares for them. Take a look at verse 35 again. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul ends this chapter with a great affirmation about this inseparable love. He says that Christians are more than conquerors through God. Paul isn't meaning here that Christians have conquered all things in life and that there's not going to be anything hard anymore. We just saw Christians... Of course that's not true. We just saw how Christians face death all day long. He's just given a long list of things that Christians can expect to go through for the sake of God. He's not now changing his mind about that. No, instead, Paul is saying that Christians have a victory that is assured. Through Jesus, Christians can know that they're safe, that God's love is inseparable. He knows that victory through Christ is 100% guaranteed and there's nothing in existence that can take that away from them. I, I love watching sport. I love watching all types of sport. In the rugby league, I follow a team called the Parramatta Eels. Now, the way the rugby season works is that you have the regular season where all the teams play each other, and then at the end of the season, you have playoffs. So the top teams all play each other, and they keep playing each other until there's only one winner. And the thing about this system is that winning the competition is never guaranteed until the very last whistle. This was demonstrated very clearly in the year that I was born. My team won almost every single game throughout the year. 
We were top of the table at the end of the year. When the playoffs arrived, we destroyed every team that came up against us. And then we got to the grand final, the last game of the year. We were facing the Newcastle Knights. Parramatta was the most tipped grand final team in history. But at the final whistle, it was Newcastle that was ahead, 24 to 30. And that was it. We'd lost. All that hard work throughout the year, all the games that we'd won, it didn't matter. In rugby league, it doesn't matter how well you play all year. If the other team overtakes your score in the final minute of the grand final, they win the whole thing. In rugby, your victory is never guaranteed. However, in the English Soccer League, I follow a team called Liverpool. And in the English Soccer League, there are no playoffs at the end of the year. Whoever's won the most amount of games at the end of the year wins the whole thing. And a couple of years ago, my team played very, very well, won a lot of games, and they managed to get a massive lead on all the other teams. And this meant that with seven games to go in the year, they were so far ahead that no one could catch them anymore. It didn't matter whether they won all their last games or whether they lost them all. Didn't matter. All the hard work had been done. There was nothing that any of the other teams could do to stop them. Christians are not like a team playing rugby league. Rather, they're like Liverpool with seven games left in the season. There is nothing that can stop Christians from being victorious when the season of this world is over. Through Jesus' love, Christians are safe as houses, immovable, and completely assured of salvation. Have a look at the end of our passage from verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How comforting and assuring is that? So, what have we seen in our passage today? Paul wants his readers to know that God has showed them an unmatchable love in sending Jesus to die for them. Although they will go through suffering in this world, they can know that God is on their side and that they have a victory that is completely secure. Nothing can take it away. Paul wrote this letter to these Roman Christians about 2,000 years ago. But we're not removed from what Paul is saying now. The assurance that Paul said Jesus has won is actually for all Christians, for everyone that follows Jesus. That's a pretty big claim to make, isn't it? Paul has claimed here that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he's now in heaven at God's right hand, offering salvation to people, completely assured salvation for people that follow him. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about the significance of these claims, but they're actually really important and really big. It's important for us to note here that the assurance that Paul is saying Christians have is entirely dependent on Jesus' death and resurrection. This is an amazing opportunity that God has given us. So if you haven't accepted Jesus as your king, have a think about why. God is offering you the most amazing gift ever. Why wouldn't you want to accept it? Or if you think that this is a gift that you'd like to have, please come and talk to me or someone else that you've seen up the front after the service. This is a gift unlike any other, and it's worth finding out about and accepting for yourself. For Christians, in many ways, this is a very simple passage to apply to us, to apply to ourselves. God has shown us his great love in sending Jesus. He's done the hard thing of sending Jesus so that we can be assured that no one can bring a charge against us. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love in Christ. At the beginning of this talk, I asked you a question. Do you think you can make it to the end as a Christian? Do you think you can make it to the end as a Christian? Well, I hope you've seen from today's passage that that's actually the wrong question to be asking. I hope you've seen from our passage today that the assurance that we can have in our salvation has nothing to do with us. It's not about how hard we can hold on to Jesus, but about how hard he can hold on to us. Earlier in the year, before the lockdown, um, I was at university doing some walk-up evangelism with a friend. Um, we were walking around campus and we got chatting to a guy who was running the Catholic stand up near the library. We had a really good chat about grace and faith and other differences between what we believe. And I was struck by something that he said. He asked me how it was that I could have complete confidence in my salvation. He thought that that was an, an arrogant thing to say, to think that, your own, that you have some ability to stick with Jesus. He himself is hopeful that he'll go to heaven but he hasn't understood the, the point of our passage today. Christian assurance isn't about how hard we can hold on to Jesus, but how hard he can hold on to us. Through Jesus, we're like Liverpool with seven games left in the season. We're not like a team playing rugby like the Parramatta Eels. We don't have to worry about us bombing out at the last second. Through Jesus, our salvation is guaranteed. It's a sure victory. The hard work has all been done. Jesus died. He rose again. He's done it all for us. There's absolutely nothing in this world that can separate us from God's love. And so the real question we should be asking is this. Do you think that Jesus can hold on to you? And the answer is a resounding, comprehensive yes. And I think that that should inspire a certain response from us. Have a think for a second about what it would be like to be a fan of the Parramatta Eels. How do you think that they're going to feel during the season? Any confidence that they have could only be taken as misconstrued confidence. 
which admittedly is a trait that Eels fans are known for. But how do you think that the Liverpool fans felt with seven games left in the season? Must have felt pretty good knowing that the victory was in the bag. I think there's something that we can take from that, actually. Two things. First of all, I think that we need to be extremely humble. We need to remember, like a fan of a soccer team, that actually our salvation has nothing to do with our own efforts, but that it's entirely dependent on Jesus' death and resurrection. And secondly, I think it means that we can be extremely confident about our lives now, not in some arrogant, cocky kind of a way, but as in a sure confidence, knowing that no matter what this world can throw at us, there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. It's a pretty great feeling knowing how tight a hold Jesus has on us, that there's no chance of him letting go. And it's going to seep into the way we live. There's no need to hide our Christianity, to be scared about it. We have an amazing assurance through Jesus, and he has such a strong hold on us. Can you make it to the end as a Christian? Well, the real question to ask is, can Jesus hold on to you until the end? Of course he can. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent your Son to die and rise again for us. We thank you that there is nothing in all the world that can separate us from your love in Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to accept Jesus as our King and to live for him. In your Son's name I pray. Amen.